0: Okay, our text is going to be uh, 2 Samuel 9, Uh, so if you'd like to turn there, I'd also ask you to turn to 1 Samuel 20. So let's stand in honor of God's Word here tonight. 1 Samuel 20, I think it will help us to go back uh, to this text as we come to 2 Samuel 9. It'll give us a little bit of a historical setting and background. That song made me think about William Carey's words, you know, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God, right? It's the idea, and uh, trusting God for more. <clears throat> it's not that he's insufficient, he's, he is sufficient. We just need to trust him additionally. Okay, uh, so First Samuel 20, then we, we may actually, I think it'd probably help us even stop off in chapter 4 of Second Samuel, so we'll, we'll make our way there, we'll try to do this all together. 1 Samuel 20. 1 Samuel 20. This is the interaction between Jonathan and David. And at the time, Jonathan is somewhat in denial that his father intends to do David any harm. Uh, But uh, a javelin later indicates that he did intend to do him harm. And so that's pretty obvious. So, nonetheless, uh, Jonathan is maybe optimistic, thinking the best, but it records the friendship between David and Jonathan and, and the covenant that they entered into and uh, the kindness that they showed one another. The word kindness is in the text, and, and it's a key word in our text in 2 Samuel 9. So, just look at verse number 14. So, this is um, Jonathan speaking, interacting with David. And in 1 Samuel 20, 20, verse 14, Jonathan says, And thou shalt not only, while I yet live, show me the kindness, notice this, the kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness, there it is again, right, from my house forever, no, not when the Lord... Hath cut off the enemies of David from everyone from the face of the earth. You, you see what Jonathan's saying there? And he's already said it in other verses. He says, David, I, you're going to be king. And, and when you're king, would you remember my, the kindness that we have, the relationship, the friendship, the covenant that we have? And not only to be kind to me, but also to my seed. All right, so uh, how about we go to 2 Samuel 4. In route to 2 Samuel 9. Just want you to see this. So this is a record what happened following, unfortunately, the death of Jonathan. What a good man. I mean, really, you talk about king material. Jonathan could have been king Uh, in terms of character. Certainly could have been king. But the decisions even of his father affected his future. So all of us as dads ought to take heed to that. And just people. Our decisions affect other people. So here in 2 Samuel 4, we we learn a little bit more about Jonathan, and it says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son. So Jonathan had a son, and that was lame of his feet. And then it gives the background story to that. He was five years old, okay? He was five years old when tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass as she made haste to flee. So she's running, she's on the run, that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. That's all it says about him right there. His name was Mephibosheth. And he was lame of his feet. So now chapter number nine. Okay, with those... To text in mind, it says in David. And David said, <clears throat> verse one, chapter nine. And David said, "Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul?" You know, it's really a sad statement when you think about it. Even that David had to ask, "Is there anybody left of Saul's house? Is there any? Is there any descendants that are left?" That I may show him what? Kindness. Kindness. There it is. That I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said... Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the, watch this, kindness of God? Everybody see that? That I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Emiel, in Lo Debar, Lo Debar, Low means not, Debar means pasture, so no pasture, desolate place, east side of the Jordan River, a good little ways out, past Mahanaim. you know where that is? Anyways, <laughs> out that way. <laughs> then King David sent and fetched him, I like that, he sent and fetched him out, of the house of Maker, the son of Amuel, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, notice what, notice what he does right here. I think this tells us something about the text. It'd be easy just to read over it, but there's a reason why he does this, and it's not just reverence and respect, though I think that certainly is involved. He fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, "Mephibosheth." And he said, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, notice these two words, fear not. Why would he say fear not? Because maybe he feared. Does that make sense? Maybe he had reason to fear. And he said, Fear not. For I will show thee kindness for Jonathan thy thy father's sake Notice what he does. Verse 7 really is the key to this chapter. And will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I've given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat, but Mephibosheth, Thy master's son shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all my all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth said the king, He shall eat. Notice this, please. He shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. How about that? He shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son. Notice that. This is not just adding material to it. It's giving us a a reference point of time. So Mephibosheth had a son. He was old enough to have a boy whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of the Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. For he did eat continually at the king's table. I believe it's four times, if you counted, that it says the king's table. And then it ends with this interesting note, in case you forgot, and was lame on both his feet. How about this account here tonight? (laughs) So I've entitled it simply this, kindness from the king. Kindness from the king. I'm sure a text like this could be spiritualized and and taken too far, but you could also miss something that's pretty obvious if you just don't just do it justice, because there's a key to this text here that I hope to tie into as we consider kindness from the king. So may God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. Came across this devotional in the Daily Bread, a pretty well known devotional. This is from years gone by, but it said this a British factory worker and his wife were excited when, after many years of marriage, they discovered they were going to have their first child. According to the author who told this true story, the man eagerly uh, relayed the good news to his fellow workers there at the factory. He told them God had answered his prayers. And unfortunately, they made fun of him for asking God for a child. When the baby was born, the account goes on, he was diagnosed with Down syndrome. As the father made his way to work for the first time after the birth, he wondered how to face his co-workers. He prayed, God, please give me wisdom. Just as he feared, someone said mockingly, so God gave you this child, huh? The new father stood there for a long time and silently asked God for help. At last he said this, I'm glad the Lord gave the child to me and not to you. (laughs) Got it. This man accepted this disabled son as God's gift because all children our gift of God. This really does. I mean, it's very similar. I can see why they would include it in in their devotional here uh, about the kindness of of David shown to a man named Mephibosheth. This is really the key text for Mephibosheth's life. But I I tried to draw attention to it in the course of the reading about kindness. And many of you maybe would even recognize the word kindness. It shows up in uh, the Old Testament under a few different terms, sometimes mercy. Sometimes loving kindness. It's the Hebrew word chesed. You 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 have to have a good cold to speak. (laughs) Hebrew chesed, chesed. But this, I'm telling you, this is a key word to the Old Testament. It talks about God's covenant faithfulness to his people, Israel, God's faithfulness to us. So sometimes you see it as loving kindness, mercy, faithfulness. You'll see it as uh, faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. That's the word. It's the same word. It's used several times. And so it's, it kind of got deep in my heart during my time in, in, uh, in uh, grad school because this was the key word that our professor just... Well, he did his whole dissertation on it, so he, he took us through it. And I was so glad that he did because it really is a key word in the Old Testament. And so David is demonstrating this. In fact, uh, I, like, I like what... Brother Sam said about this passage. I listened to his sermon on it, and, and he said, This this really, in so many ways, is King David at his very best. It really is. This is David at, at his best. Now we're about to see David at his worst. So I think we ought to enjoy the text for sure. Because right here we see a proper use of power and authority. But in chapter 11, unfortunately, we see an improper use of power and authority in the matter of Bathsheba. But here we have David, I think, at his best. Um, where we've been in our series, I think it's easy to see. In fact, I may, that may be the reason I enjoyed the song so much that the quartet uh, sang a moment ago about, you know, how blessed. How blessed we are. How, how blessed we are by God. And, and I, I think, church, it wouldn't take long for us to make a, make a case here. That at this point in the account, David is greatly blessed by God. I mean, he's king over all of Israel, not, not just Judah. Uh, Jerusalem has been taken. They said if, if they were so arrogant, the people of Jebus were so arrogant, and they said that, uh, that you can the blind people of our city and the lame people of our city could defend against you. Well, that didn't, that didn't work. Because David took the city and they now had possession of Jerusalem. So he's king over all Israel. Let me, let me recount all this for us here right quick. I, I want you to see something. He was king over all Israel. They had the city of Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant was now there. And then last week we talked about all the kingdoms from the north to the south to the east to the west that were now subdued. I mean, even the Philistines and the Ammonites and the Amalekites, I mean, some key individuals that had caused them so much trouble are now subdued. And we talked about a, a winning record and what God uh, did there in the life of David and how that the Lord was, caused David to prosper everywhere he went. And, and he was blessed, I'm telling you. And then the wealth, I mean, the extreme wealth, really, the gold, the silver, the brass, the iron, all the precious metals that were brought into the kingdom, hey... David was blessed. Well, here's what I see. David was blessed, but he didn't get this mentality. Man, I'm blessed. I'm going to sit back and just enjoy it. No, here's what he did. I'm blessed. I want to be a blessing. Is there anybody left of the house of Saul? Do Do you see that right now here before we move on? Hey, those who have been greatly blessed ought to in turn be a blessing to others. And that's what David is doing. And so he's greatly blessed here by God. And, and, uh, and unfortunately, the house of Saul is decimated. I mean, really devastating effects. By the way, sin has a devastating effect on life. Saul, Jonathan, Aminadab, another man's name that I can't remember and probably couldn't rem- uh, pronounce, the son of Saul. <laughs> These four on that night at Gilboa there in Jezreel were killed. Why? Because a man named Saul got out of God's will. It's so devastating that David has to ask here, now, is there anybody that's left of the house of Saul? Now, friend, listen, that's tragic that David would have to ask that. And and so Mephibosheth, uh, that very night, they, they took him up, that nurse took him up and, and was in the process of running, but, but he fell and, and became lame of his, of his feet and, and couldn't walk very easily, of course, and was crippled, however you want to uh, term that. I mean, just a devastating effect in his life. He was five years old when this happened. Saul had been antagonistic to David. David. Well, that's easy to see. Two javelins thrown at your son-in-law. I mean, that's not a good family relationship. The antagonism of Saul. In fact, David had two occasions where he could have taken Saul's life, but he didn't. And then after Saul uh, passed away, then one of Saul's sons named Ishbosheth, under really the as a puppet. Leader, essentially, of Abner, uh, tries to control the northern part of Israel and does. And David is king, listen to this, for seven and a half years in Hebron. Ishbosheth, sorry, Mephibosheth was five years old, but now he's got a son. So I would say at least 15 years maybe has passed. Maybe Mephibosheth is 20 years old now. So a good amount of time has passed. Seven and a half years, David is king over that area. And then the subduing all those countries. And so a good time has passed. And David asks, is there anybody left of the house of Saul? I want to show kindness to them. It wasn't like he had forgot about doing that, but obviously he had quite a bit going on there. But, but he had promised to show kindness to Jonathan. He had promised him to do so. And, and a promise in the past, ought to direct faithfulness in today. And so... A number of years has passed, fifteen to twenty years, perhaps. David asks around, and and he learns of a man named Zeba or Ziba, maybe, but probably Zeba as, as he's known, and he was a servant of Mephibosheth. And I want you to take note of as to where they're living. They're living in a place called Lodibar, and that is on the east side of the Jordan River. And Ishbosheth had set up the kingdom in Mahanaim, where. Uh, Jacob, the forefather there had, of Israel, had come through. And, and so, but it was on the other side of the territory. In fact, it was a good little ways away from Jerusalem. It's almost like this. They tried to hide Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth, now a grown man, had no inclination to try to make his way into Jerusalem. And you know that he knew that David was king. But why would he not do that? Well, probably the same reason that he came in the throne room with fear. In fact, there's good reason as to why that if you were of the seed of a defeated king, and now there's a new king that is setting up his regime, you would too also be nervous. Because all you got to do is just look at the record of Scripture even further into the Old Testament. And, and you'd read about man, men like Baasha, who, uh, who following the house of Rehoboam after Rehoboam I, uh, was taken out there. He, it says that he smote all the house of Rehoboam and he left none to Jeroboam. Did I say Rehoboam? Jeroboam. Any that breathed, he wiped them out. All the sons of Jeroboam wiped them out. Zimri did the same thing. Jehu, oh my soul. Jehu slew the 70 sons of Ahab. I mean, wiped them out. Why? Because that way they're no more threat to you. I mean, just uh, take into account before that, I'm, I'm just telling you the practice of the land. This was the common practice of that time period, that, that if you're the new king of an area, then you, you uh, liquidate, you get rid of everybody else that might be a threat to your kingdom. And so all you got to do is look back at the book of Judges in chapter number one, and you'd read about how that Judah became uh, victorious over Adonai Bezek of Bezek, and they fought against him, and then when they caught him, they cut off his thumbs and his great toes. That's a bummer. They cut off his thumbs and his great toes. He's not able to handle, hold a weapon very easily. And his great toes gone. He doesn't have the balance. Of you. Come on now, I'm just simply saying to you. That's what they did. That's gruesome. But that's what they did. In fact, listen to what Adonai Bezek said. He said, three score, three score and 10 kings. 70 kings having their thumbs and great toes cut off. You know what he's saying right there? I did this to 70 kings. He was counting them on his fingers, but, anyways, it. <laughs> Terrible. Nowhere near my notes. Okay, focus here. <sighs> but I want. <laughs> Three score and ten kings, having their thumbs and great toes cut off, gathered their meat, listen to this, under my table. Under my table, as I have done. So God hath requited me. You know what he's saying right there? Vengeance came from God. I treated 70 kings this way. Now they've treated me that way. I had them under my table like a dog. I had them under my table like a dog. I made a a showcase of them. Basically is what he's saying. I, I removed the threat. I'm just trying to say to you, that's probably what Mephibosheth had in mind. He's the son of Jonathan. He's the grandson of Saul. He's living as far away, really, in many ways as he could get in a place called Lodabar. With no intention of getting anywhere near David, he probably felt like a marked man. I don't believe it to be too much of a stretch given The way that his granddad had treated David, and the way that his uncle Ishbosheth had treated David. Come on now, isn't that right? And Abner had treated David. I don't think it'd be too much of a stretch to say Mephibosheth would feel more like an enemy to David than a family member to David. A possible threat, a possible enemy. Enemy. So he's living in a place called Lodabar that has no water, no grass, no crops, no livestock. In fact, I, I like what uh, uh, my friend, Brother uh, Joe Dickinson, pastor down at Hillcrest in, in El Paso, he says this, he was really living a sorry life. He was lame, fatherless, living on bad land, and quite possibly in a life-threatening situation. As the grandson of a former king. In fact, in many ways we could say this, that Mephibosheth was living, listen, in a self-imposed exile. A self-imposed exile. He had nothing to offer King David. He's living as far away from King David as he, as he most possibly can because he views himself under a threat. I wonder what the day was like when somebody showed up at his House, ranch, without grass. I wonder what it was like when somebody rolled up and it was an entourage from King David. And they said, is Mephibosheth here? I imagine there'd be a little bit of fear and trepidation. Maybe it was the day that he feared all his life. I'm not trying to read too much into the story, but I am trying to take into account what was going on here. As David, as sorry, as Mephibosheth is living as far away. Hey, hey, you might think if he thinks that now is a time of peace, he might have come. He probably had time to to come to congratulate King David. But oh no, he's probably fearful that he could wipe me out. The king wants to see him. He makes his way. And he comes before King David, the Bible says. And as he comes before King David, the Bible says that he bows in his presence and he gets low. And I wonder what he felt like when he heard the king say his name. Mephibosheth. Thy servant is he. He says, Mephibosheth. As we, look at verse number seven again, my soul. This is, this is so good. Look at it if you would again. In verse number seven of, of chapter nine, David said to him, fear not. Fear not. David, listen, uh, Mephibosheth, I'm sorry. Mephibosheth, listen, fear not. I'm not going to treat you like an enemy. I'm not going to treat you like an enemy. In fact, here's what he's going to do. I'm going to treat you like a family member. I could treat you like an enemy. What do you have? Grounds. A culturally acceptable grounds? Certainly. Not a, not not endorsed by God, but he certainly could have had grounds, culturally speaking. He says, "Fear not, for I will surely show you, show thee the kindness for David thy father's sake, and will restore all the land and all the, all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually." You see, here's the key. David showed him not just he didn't show him David's kindness. Verse number three, he showed them. The kindness of God. Everybody see that? That is, is it verse number three? Verse three, he showed him the kindness of God. The kindness of God. The faithfulness of God. The mercy of God. The loving kindness of God. And he went beyond, I think, listen, David went way beyond what he told uh, Jonathan that he would do. He told Jonathan, yes, I I won't take the life of any of your sons. I, I will be faithful to you in that way. But not only did he do that, friend, but listen, here's what he did. He restored what his grandfather had lost. He restored the land to him. And listen, he didn't cut off his thumbs and he didn't cut off his toes and he didn't put him under his table. No, friend, listen, here's what he did. He put him at his table and treated an enemy like a family member. Out of the kindness of God, a man, I might remind you, a man that couldn't do anything to help David. He was lame of his feet. He was defeated. He was downcast. Hey, listen, David didn't do this because he was going to get anything out of it. David did this to show the kindness of God to Mephibosheth. And somebody that could have been treated like an enemy was now treated like a family member. All you and I got to do is just turn to Ephesians chapter number two or Titus chapter number three and see that we walked according to the course of this world and that we were enemies of God, dear friend. Can I remind you of that? We'd be amiss not to, not to draw this into the account, given that verse number three talks about David showed him the kindness of God. Again, this is not David-type kindness. No, this is God-type kindness. And so what kind of kindness do we see? God showing us, hey, can I remind you, you've got nothing to offer to God. I've got nothing to offer to God. And yet he loves us. And as an enemy of God in so many ways, we try to get as far away from God as we most possibly can. And it was not Mephibosheth that came seeking David, but it was David who went seeking Mephibosheth and he sent for him. And I love the word. He fetched him. He fetched him. Well, where were you when God found you? It wasn't you seeking God. It was God seeking you, and he loved you, and he showed you the kindness of God, and he sent for you, and he fetched you. Boy, I thank God for that. He sent somebody to fetch you. He may have sent somebody to fetch you on a bus route and pick you up on, a, on an old, old, it doesn't have to be old, but usually it is, an old Bus and brought you to Sunday school and church and you heard the gospel and thank God today we had some young children saved and they, they couldn't do anything to save themselves, but God in heaven loves them. Amen. Amen. And yes, maybe their granddad was a sinner and their dad perhaps was a sinner but they, and they're a sinner, but there's a God in heaven who loves them so dearly. Amen. That's no different than you and I. That we were living in our own loaded bar. Yes, that's right. Nothing to offer God. A sorry life. Isn't that right? Yes. A life apart from God is sorry, isn't it? Yes. No hope, no purpose, no meaning, living in fear. But thank God through Jesus, God can say to us, there is now therefore no condemnation. Yes. No condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Can you believe this? I mean, really, can you just stop and think about this? That the king has invited us to his table? That we sit at his table, according to Ephesians chapter number two, that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places? I can't fathom all this. I don't deserve this. You don't deserve this. We are enemies of God, and yet he treats us like family members. Undeserved. Unsought, even from us, we're trying to as we're trying to get away from him, and yet, and we couldn't offer anything back. Oh, but still, he loved us and invited us to sit at his table. We've been shown all kinds of kindness. It's a blessing today to see a picture of some some uh, third and fourth graders kneeling at the altar out in the gym. You know what they found right there? The mercy of God. The kindness of God. The love of God for sinners. You know, I I think a text like this is, it, it ought to cause us to stop and thank God. Just stop and think here tonight where you'd be without Him. Just think where your life would be had He not intervened in your life. I mean, really, David fits this same story. He was working out in a field in Bethlehem, and the king invited him to come. Now, his experience with that king was different than Mephibosheth's experience with this king. But nonetheless, it wasn't anything about David that deserved that. And so here, here's, here's, I think something that we're supposed to get out of that, that, that here is a recipient of great blessings that did not want to just enjoy those blessings and consume them upon himself. But he said there must be some people around, and he may be even the house of Saul, that need this mercy that I've been the recipient of. And because he'd been so blessed, he wanted to pass that blessing on to others. Church, how else could we describe Southwest Baptist Church but in those terms? that we have been the recipients of incredible blessings in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What we need to do is look around and find somebody to show some kindness to. Here'd be a good place to start. Start your family. Start your own family. Showing some kindness in the family. Um, Even if they don't deserve it. Remember, God loves sinners and he treats enemies like family members when they come humbly and trust him hey shouldn't we do the same show some family members some kindness or maybe some church family members some kindness and, and show some uh, people that you work with some kindness in fact I, I think that through kindness more people have been won than through eloquence right. yeah. kindness David showed Mephibosheth kindness by treating him like a family member rather than an enemy. God has shown us kindness by treating us like family members rather than like enemies. So we can extend to others kindness when we treat others like family members and not like the sister that you don't like. But I'm I'm saying family members that you love rather than like enemies. What an account that God has given us here. And I just want to ask you here tonight as we conclude, who needs your kindness? You might say, is there any left of the house of, and you name the name, that I might show kindness to? And just bear in mind, David did that to a household that had been antagonistic toward him. Because you might be inclined to say, well, I won't show them kindness because they haven't shown me kindness. Okay, that's not kindness. That's not the kindness of God. That's conditional kindness. The kindness of God is, I'm going to be kind even though others have not been. I'm going to be merciful while others have not been. And just stop and take into account where you were before God saved you or where you'd be if you were still unsaved. And that make you thankful that God, who is rich in mercy. In fact, I, I like how one said it. David sought Mephibosheth, fetched him or called for him, and then enriched him. But what did God do in our life? He sought us. He called us. He's enriched us. What should we do? Seek lost sinners. Call on them to trust Christ. Help them to receive the riches that are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We get to pass this on to others. Father, thank you tonight. What an account that we are the recipients of your kindness. To pass on kindness to others, dear God, I thank you for the display of kindness on the behalf of and part of David. I thank you looking around the room tonight. There are some that are treating others just like they were family members, bringing someone to church, being a friend to someone. Lord, we are grateful to get to pass on the kindness that you've shown to us. And I pray that you'd help us to do so, Lord. There's others that are in need of this kindness that we have received. I thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that you've extended it to us. Dear Lord, I pray you'd help us in extending it to others. In Jesus' name, amen.